So what you just heard is Dionne Warwick with Walk On By. He released that song today in 1964. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. This is an oldies but goodies day. And once again, we are dipping down into our archives to bring you another conversation that we know you're going to enjoy. In 2004, I spoke with Richard Chamberlain, who was the nation's heartthrob in the 1960s when he played Dr. Kildare on television, and then became the king of the miniseries in the 1980s with Thornbirds, Shogun, and Centennial, and later played the first Jason Bourne. He was one of our great television, movie, and stage actors, and still rolling in his late 80s. He was in town to play Scrooge at the Hippodrome. It was near Christmas time. And he joined me in studio to talk about his life, his work, and his memoir, Shattered Love. So please, enjoy this archived edition of my discussion with the incomparable Richard Chamberlain. Richard Chamberlain, an actor we know from all his miniseries, Thornbirds and Dr. Kildare, is in town doing Ebenezer Scrooge at the Hippodrome and joins us in the studio this hour. And welcome. It's good to have you in the studio. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. If I can get this microphone to stop going up, there it goes. Stay good. Uh, <laughs> It's interesting that you, you know, you've had this huge career, and and uh, you're on the road as Ebenezer Scrooge. And that that's, uh, tell us about this role you're doing now, and and uh, and how you got uh, got into this. Well, I've known Leslie Brickus, who wrote this musical, for a long, long time, and he's wanted to over the years. He's asked me to do it a couple of times, and I was either busy or felt I was too young or whatever. And this time, I reread it. <laughs> And I thought, well, I'm certainly not too young. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I, and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with this guy, this Ebenezer Scrooge, who starts out as such a cantankerous old jerk. I mean, you know, he's really damaged goods and a, a meaner than well, all the, the words that come to mind, I can't say. Definitely <laughs> um, we want to see on the air. Anyway. Yeah. And, uh, and then he has, through the course of the show, this amazing... Epiphany, or a series of epiphanies, with, which I think I think are brought on by his own unconscious, mm-hmm. and um, and because that just doesn't want to live like that anymore, his real deep self, and he he transforms into this extraordinary human being, generous, open-hearted, mm-hmm. etc. And it's a wonderful it's a wonderful journey to take every night. I never get tired of doing this show. Now, did you read Dickens? Have you read yes. Christmas? That, that, was that part of your preparation to do this, to go back into that old novel? And Yes, and it's very similar. Uh, that most of the show is, is lifted straight from Dickens, uh, which is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not a bad author. No, not a bad. He did, did a good job. <laughs> so, 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 but this particular role, I mean, it's, it's musicals were something in your past that you did a lot of when you were younger, before you got into TV? No, no, I'm not a I'm not a great fan of musicals. I mean, I like Sondheim and a few other the company I love. Right. But um, I was asked to do My Fair Lady uh, maybe ten years ago, and we d- we did a wonderful production of that. And we were on tour and also played Broadway. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a great, great, great show. Yeah. Maybe the best. <clears throat> and then uh, maybe five years after that, we did uh, uh, Sound of Music under the same circumstances, both on Broadway and on tour. Beautiful production. And then this came up, so um, um, so though I, though I don't consider myself a musical actor, I've 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 loved doing these three shows. So, did you? What did you train as a as a musical actor? Is that something that just came to you naturally? Did you study that separately from your? Acting? I started taking singing lessons right out of college, uh, mainly to strengthen my speaking voice, 
And we actually, and during Doctor Kildare, we made some some LPs, you know, that did very well. Um, I wasn't a great, I wasn't exactly Sinatra, <laughs> but um, but they were okay. Well, not shabby. Yeah, not too shabby. <laughs> Uh, and then over the years, I've done a few musical events, but mostly I've just continued studying singing off and on um, to keep my voice in shape. So I found a, a fabulous new singing teacher in in Honolulu, mm-hmm. of oh, all sure places. You live now. Yes, oh, where, no. where I live now. Uh, about six months ago, and I never really, really enjoyed singing before. I could do it, and I did it reasonably well. But she, she's freed me up in a way that has made singing really a joy. And so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it every night instead of kind of cringing a little bit and thinking, will I hit those notes? <laughs> well, that's kind of exciting in some ways. Could you, I guess, if I was reading right, you're, you're about 70 at this point, right? 70, yeah. Yeah, 70. So, I mean, but so new things keep happening. New yes. roles and kind of new ways of, I mean, you're just talking about your, uh, resurrecting your voice and making it strong again. Yes. I mean, so it never seems to stop. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I think that's what life's all about. I don't want to stop. I don't want to get stuck anyplace. That's one of the great things about being an actor is that you get to be so many different kinds of people mm-hmm. and discover so many different kinds of selves that seem to be housed there inside of you. <laughs> <laughs> now, you well, you've had a lot of selves housed in you as an actor. I mean, mm. You Clearly, every time somebody mentions uh, Richard Chamberlain, if they want a TV nut in the 60s and watch Dr. Kildare, the Thornbirds come to everybody's mm-hmm. mind, obviously, mm-hmm. where you played Father Ralph. Yes, um, and that became almost an iconic figure yes. in American television. Yes. Extraordinary story, an extraordinary love story, and an amazing character. Um, I'd love to do, if I were young enough, I would love to play Ralph again mm-hmm. and get it right. What but, do you mean? Uh, well, I don't know. There were scenes in it that I thought, if, if I've, I've seen bits of it since mm-hmm. we did it. And there were scenes that I thought, oh, no, no, I should have done it this way. I should have done it that way. It should have been more forceful. It should have been more this or that. Um, but some of it I liked very much. I thought I was okay. Um, but Ralph Ralph being, being a religious figure, which he was genuinely, mm-hmm. I think he had a genuine calling in the church. But he was so torn because it was not only God, it was not only spirit that attracted him. It was the glamour and power of the church that attracted him, which are two very different Mm -hmm. things. And he really loved Maggie. He really loved her. I mean, they were, to use a corny phrase, they were really soulmates. I think he felt, I think he recognized something in her when she was actually a little girl. It's not that he wanted a better as a little girl, but he recognized some kind of extraordinary connection with her. And mm-hmm. so when she grew up and blossomed, it was it was um, uh, true love. In that role, I mean, because that really is one of those roles that, that is unforgettable. I mean, when uh, when we talked about you coming on the air, the first thing the producer and people did was talk about the Thornbirds. Uh-huh. And you became this, you already had that of the image of this kind of romantic figure, leading yes. man. But that something happened in that role that kind of really solidified it in the, in mm. the minds of America. I mean, that's, and to have a very sexual, sensual role being played uh, with an actor who's playing a priest. Yes. I mean, yes. I mean, how did that... People did... all over the world found that immensely attractive. Yeah. I, and I can understand that, you know, from a woman's point of view. Um, a priest, first of all, there's the challenge of a priest being unattainable. Right. Absolutely right. unattainable. So that already gives him a kind of glamour, right? Absolutely, you know, especially if he's good looking. Uh, the the uh, the young Jesuit who was our technical advisor on the. Oh, I would have to be a Jesuit, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> he was he was brilliant and very attractive young guy very very attractive to women he ended up by the way uh getting married um but um um I saw the effect of his presence on women, on some of my uh, women friends, etc. Mm-hmm. They were just dotty over this guy, <laughs> and it was partly because he was, you know, above the fray, supposedly. Right. Supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> so, now, what, so when you were preparing for this, is interesting to me because when you were preparing for that role, um, and and you, you you're playing a priest who's dedicated to the the church and immensely, he really yes. wanted to fight his way yes. to the pinnacles of power, yes. which he did. Yes. At the same time, he's in this central relationship with a woman. Yes. How did the, what kind of conversations happened between you and your Jesuit free priest friend in preparation for this role? I mean, and 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 how you kind of thought through that? Well, Terry um, was very attracted to women and was very attracted to, attractive to women, um, and was very. He was he was actually during this time conducting a survey of American bishops about the subjects of of um, obedience, uh, celibacy, mm. and f- f- the relationship of females to the church. And the the feedback he was getting from the bishops was amazingly controversial. Um, and he was asked by his Jesuit superiors to stop, to stop this. And he said. Unless you can give me a reason to stop this inquiry, I'm going to continue. And they said, the reason is, we said, stop. <laughs> and uh, and so he got into a, a fair amount of trouble with that. Um, and... Um, and finally, was he wasn't defrocked or anything, but he was, he was, he, it was made so he couldn't have a parish and could no longer say mass. I went to his his really? last mass, which was very moving. Um, and then he he ended up marrying. He's still a priest. Still uh, friends. We're still friends, but we haven't communicated mm-hmm. for quite a while. Um, but we yes, we talked about these things, and uh, he had to be quite careful in his discussions and 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 didn't discuss his personal feelings that much um he did arrange for me to spend several days actually staying at a novitiate in downtown LA uh-huh. it was in this old rundown mansion and it was this jesuit novitiate and i i have my problems with with uh catholic theology um and uh, I didn't expect the experience I had there. These young priests uh, on the verge of being priests right. were so wonderful. And the work they were doing was so extraordinary. They'd go to class all morning and study very, very hard. And then they'd, they would all go to the hardest places in the city to work with people like prisons, etc., to work with people mm-hmm. and, and just be helpful if mm-hmm. they could. And I went to a mass they they had mass up in the attic every morning and i went to this mass and unlike the responses etc in 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 a, in a, when you go to church which are kind of and and you and blah 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 and the this and this and the blah 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 and it's sort of rote <laughs> they were going and you and this and they were so full of the fire of their belief and and the first thing the priest said who was he said you know, when we have a newcomer, they were, by the way, not all that happy that I was there. Really? The, the, young, uh-huh. the young people. I could tell. 
They, he said, when we have a stranger among us, then we know that Christ is really here. And he didn't mean that Christ was the stranger. He meant that the spirit of Christ would right. be there to right. welcome the stranger. And tears started to flood down my face. <laughs> I was so moved by them. Anyway, I think spirit can work wherever spirit wants to work is the end of that story. <laughs> Richard Chamberlain is my guest this hour. Uh, he uh, joins us this hour to talk about his life and his career. Um, that is interesting. I mean, that, did you grow up, you didn't grow up Catholic, or did you? No, I went to uh, a Presbyterian Sunday school. Uh, but my father used to take me to hear a, a guy named Ernest Holmes talk. He started the Church of Religious Science. Oh, right. And when I was a kid, I used to, to go and hear Ernest talk. And he was a friend of the family to some extent. And I was very impressed by him and very impressed by his belief system. And some of that is continued on in my own belief system. Hmm. So you see yourself as a very spiritual person. Well, I see myself as very interested in those things, yes. Mm -hmm. Very interested. Uh, and it's interesting. There's a connection between that and acting, it seems sometimes to me, because you have to kind of lose yourself in the skin of another yes. as yes. an actor. Yes. And sometimes when you're, in, even in a, in a play like Scrooge, which, you know, think everybody's familiar with it and everything, it, it has a, a lot to say about the human condition, really a lot. Uh, who of us? Who 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 among us is not greedy and selfish, really? And, and and who among us is not capable of of opening up to other people in a in a very generous way? Let's open the phones and bleep. <laughs> it really, it's, it's, what's laughing is because this microphone just keeps rising up to the sky. It's the, the Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that stuff worked. <laughs> Even on microphones for <laughs> Blima in Baltimore. You're on the air. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yep. Um, hi, uh, hi, my name is Gleema. I, I, a little thing that I wanted to mention, I grew up in Poland, and one of the first shows that on television we were able to watch was Dr. Kilder. Ah. It was, I believe, every Wednesday, and all the girls sat in front of the television and oohed and odd. <laughs> and I think we were all had crush on you, um, Mr. Chamberlain, and just whenever I see your name or I go to a movie to see you, it always brings a smile to my face. Oh, and, that's wonderful. And just great memories. Well, thank you so much. How sweet uh, of you. And your voice has not changed whatsoever in those last, 40 or whatever years, so I'm looking forward to seeing the show as well. Oh, I hope you I hope you enjoyed it. It's a really good production. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. So Bye. Before we go back to the phones, there's an email here from Kirk in Baltimore. Oh, I have to call back to get my bushel of oysters. He called me. I can remember that. Kirk writes in, um, please ask Mr. Chamberlain to discuss The Last Wave. Was this Peter Weir's first major film? What was different about working for Peter Weir? Um, I had never heard of Peter Weir long, long, long ago. And my agent called me and said that he would like me to do this picture called The Last Wave in Australia. And I said, well, you know, and I read the script and the script was rather sketchy. And I said, mm -hmm. well, is there anything else I could see? And he had done a film called Picnic at Hanging Rock, mm -hmm. which I saw and loved. I loved this movie. And I said, absolutely, I'll go and work with this man. Absolutely. And arrived in, in Australia, and Peter then was very young, and he looked like a, a little English choir boy with, with kind of pink <laughs> cheeks. And, and, you know, he looked so totally innocent and young. And uh, then we got to talking, and, and when we were actually filming the thing, I realized that he had this 
well, of course, after seeing Picnic at Hanging Rock, too, he had this amazing appreciation of the of the deep mystery of that of that continent. Is is Australia a continent or an island? It's I think also it's a, continent. a continent. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. of that continent, the extraordinary, deep, deep, deep Aboriginal qualities, and uh, and yes, it was he he. I, I saw it recently after years and years and years. I I, I took what a look was at made? oh seventy six okay. I think. Yeah. Um, and I took a look at it again and I thought, gosh, that's the realest acting I've ever seen me do. <laughs> and it was largely because of Peter. He 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 demanded in in the in the most subtle way the reality of 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 the character, etc. In fact, I think it was really about him. I think that that my character David was was really Peter, a version of Peter. But it was marvelous, marvelous working with him. He's a very interesting director. Yeah, fabulous. Fabulous director. Um, let's go back to the phones. George in Baltimore, you're on the air. Hello, hello. Uh, hi, George. George, uh, I wanted to tell you, Mr. Chamberlain, that one of your favorite movies uh, was Shogun with me. Yeah, me too. I'm one of those kind of people who get into the movie and learn mm. the characters yeah. and uh, know just about every line. Yes, good. And uh, uh, I wanted to ask you uh, two things. The lady who played Lady Toda, do you, who was she? Ooh, you've got me there. This was 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, Yoko Shimada played Mariko, of course. Yeah. Uh, but Toda, I don't remember her name. She sure was beautiful, though. Yes. But, you know, you can find that out very easily by just going on the web. Every movie ah. ever existed is on there with the cast. Oh, oh, so good So just idea. Gotta type it in and you'll find that answer. Go ahead, George. I'm and, sorry. And uh, the last thing I wanted to say was that the... Do you recall the part, uh, the part where um, you, uh, you, uh, the, the, the village was about to uh, uh, be burned, and you couldn't live with the shame, and you wanted to commit separate. Yes. At that point, uh, the emotional intent on your face. Uh, do you recall what was going through your mind? How you rose to that occasion, that that scene? I was, as the character, really thinking of actually killing myself. Well. It showed through because it seemed that you were actually trembling. Yeah, uh, it was scary. It didn't seem it to be really scary to me. I was very impressed with. Oh, that thank scene. you. I thought that scene yeah. went well too. Um, it was very, very interesting to do. Very intense, and uh, I just sort of went with it. And uh, I mean, it, it seemed almost possible that I was going to stab myself. Yeah, <laughs> I was holding my breath. <laughs> George, thanks so much for your That's call. That's about it. Thank you. Take thank care you. now. Thank you very much for the call. Uh, on the way back to the phones here, I, I, let me switch gears for a second and, and uh, uh, talk about the memoir you came out last year with Shattered Love. It really kind of um, grabbed a lot of people. I mean, that that, that uh, here you were at 69 years old then, writing a book where you said to the world, yes, I'm gay. Yes. Um, and took for you that long to kind of feel comfortable saying it. Yes, it took 68 years. It was a, a kind of a, a sort of miracle because I, I went through my whole... I grew up in the 30s, 40s, 50s when being gay was absolutely verboten. I mean, totally mm -hmm. unacceptable. And uh, so I created another person and became that person um, uh, and lived that way, which is not a good way to live. <laughs> to live a lie, you mean. <laughs> yeah, to right, live a lie right, is, right. is not fun. Though I had a lot of fun. I mean, I had a great career and blah, blah, blah. But but those 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 very negative feelings about myself persisted throughout my life. Uh, they grew less and less, but they were still there. And I, I almost remember the moment when I was writing the book and I was writing about these these things. And um, and it was as, as it was as if an angel mm -hmm. touched my head and said, "Enough, enough already. Mm -hmm. It's a non-issue. It is a total non-issue. 
It means nothing. I mean, if you tell me you're you're straight, that tells me nothing almost about you. Absolutely. You could be smart, dumb, yeah. good, bad, yep. etc. Same with being gay. Well, I suddenly realized that on a very, very deep level. And in a week, you know, as soon as the book was published, I was on TV talking about being gay, which was the, the darkest, deepest, darkest secret of my life. And doing so with complete freedom. It was a, it was a it was a great gift. How did you handle that for 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 your life when you I mean had this uh, obviously had this long relationship with another man? Yes, who you still twenty eight years, with, still no, with, almost twenty nine. Um, who's twenty years younger than you, if I remember right from reading? Yeah, almost. Uh, a director, a theater director, and how did that work? I mean, it's, it's to have to hide that and hide him. It's it's just it was, must have been very hard for you. It was hard. I was willing to do anything to preserve my career. I was totally career-oriented. <clears throat> so I was willing to do anything. It was very hard on Martin because he was younger. He didn't have the fears that I had about being gay. Um, and he did feel pushed into the background a bit, quite rightly. Mm -hmm. uh, but somehow he stuck it out with me. I don't know why, <laughs> but he did. I honestly don't you know why. You had some redeeming qualities. There. Yes, <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> But uh, but now um, it's made an amazing. It's brought an amazing lightness into our relationship, mm -hmm. which is which is very welcome. It was interesting though in your era, in that era, and even before yours of the forties and fifties, early sixties. A lot, it turns out, of the leading men. Yes. Uh, the heartthrobs for yes. millions of women yes. were gay men. Yes. Well, it's it. There's a certain androgyny in being gay, which which. I welcome, I like being somewhat androgynous. Mm -hmm. And I think an androgynous man, to a certain extent, you know, let's say he's still perfectly straight, but has those as a certain quality of female sensitivity, is very attractive to women. Because, for one thing, the man will listen to them <laughs> and be interested in what they're talking about, mm -hmm. which isn't always true between men and women. So I think um, that... Uh, um, a, a gay man can be very attractive to women, is what I'm saying. And it's um, well. Let me go back to the phones here. Some other uh, questions in that era, but let me go back to the our listeners back in this conversation as we talk with Richard Chamberlain, who's in town to do performance. Ebenezer Scrooge and Dickens' Christmas Carol, and Richard in Bel Air. You're on the air. Uh, yes. Good afternoon. Hi, Richard. Uh, Hi. Hard to follow up on that last comment. Very interesting conversation, Mr. Chamberlain. Yes. But I'm going to go back to uh, your days on Doctor Kildare. First mm -hmm. of all, I know I've got a old record of you singing the title song. Yes. So. And, the, and your voice sounds exactly the same on the record as it does, in, you know, on the radio today. So it's fantastic. Oh, well, great. But uh, <laughs> how was it working for Raymond Massey? Ray was one of the best friends I've ever had. He, he, we had worked together once before Kildare, and when, we, when I was up for Kildare, he had <laughs> approval. And because we had worked together once before and we had gotten on, he approved me, which was a good start. And I got on wonderfully well with him. He was a kind of, I didn't get on very well with my own father. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Ray was like a, a surrogate father and was so kind and so generous to me. A real pal. And I also got along with his wife, who was the, one of the first corporation lawyers ever. Really? Female. And she was really tough. And uh, if she didn't like you, you were in trouble. And we got on great, too. But uh, I miss Ray to this day. I, I, he was a wonderful friend. Oh, very good. Thank you very much for Thank your you. comment. Thank you. That, that was the role that actually transformed your life. I mean, that, that threw you into the limelight. Yes. Oh, I mean, oh, oh, yeah. 
What a break for a young actor. Yeah. How old are you then? In your 20s? I was 24. 24. But a very young 24. What um, does that mean? Well, I mean, experience-wise, looks-wise, just in my general development, I'm a very, very slow bloomer. Mm -hmm. If I ever bloom at all, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, late, late blooming. Is something wrong with late, late, late bloomer, that's what I late meant bloomer. to say. My father yeah. said, use that term, late bloomers. Okay. Yeah. And Yolande in Baltimore, you're on the air. Hi, Hi. yes. Hi. Um, my name is uh, Yolande, and I was married to an actor. He has since passed away, who worked with uh, you, Miss uh, Richard, on Broadway. Um, oh. J.C., J.C. Quinn. J.C.'s gone? Yeah, he died this past year. Oh, he was wonderful. Uh, thank you. Thank you. He was we just did, wonderful. He um, he passed away this year in a, oh. in a, in a car accident. Oh, my God. But um, he has... Uh, um, he spoke so highly of what a giving actor you were. Oh, that's nice. He had talked about, um, it's funny because we, uh, his children and I, his two girls, his two daughters will mm -hmm. be coming to see you. But, and um, he talked about, um, you, you two worked, you were the lead on a play on Broadway that I didn't even uh, know. It was, it was Fathers and Sons. It was at the public theater. Right, Fathers and Sons, that's uh -huh. right. And, and he had said how generous you were because when you left, he took over a role there. Oh. And, and he said that by watching you, it had just helped him grow so much as an actor. Oh, that's wonderful. And I just thought since he passed away, I wanted to tell you that because he just uh, really spoke uh, just of your friendship and of uh, uh, what a great teacher you were for him as an actor. Oh, well, that's yeah. great. Well, he, he didn't look to me like he needed any teaching. He was, he was, he was excellent. <laughs> Thank you for saying that, but uh, we Th look forward to seeing you in the show. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Okay, bye. Well, thanks so much for your call. Bye. Very nice call. Bye. Sweet. Shell in Baltimore, you're on the air. Hi, yes, um, Richard, so nice to talk to you. Same um, here. I was actually calling because, again, like everybody's calling up because they know people that you worked with, but I, you worked in The Sound of Music in New York. Yes. With my friend Laura Benanti from high school. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, she's <laughs> one of my old friends, and I used to be in, like, you know, drama club and choir with her. And, she um, was. She was I'm only. Wondering if yes. you know where she is or how she's doing? Because I saw you guys in the Sound of Music. It was fantastic. Oh, she was. She. She was just in a show. Was she in um, uh, nine nine and a half? I think a uh, couple of years yeah, ago. No, because you guys were great. That was such a great performance. She was terrific. She I was. Brought my mom with me, and she loved you. And then she knew me and Laura from high school and plays, and it was like the best day of her life. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Yeah, so I guess I just wanted to just call and say well, Laura always had a great time, and she was great to play with you guys. And she was fabulous. You. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Very, thank she you. was Laura was very mature for her. She was 19, I think, and I was, what, I don't know, 60-something. And we were, our Sound of Music, we were Who did she potential play? lovers. She played Maria. Oh, okay. And she had this amazing maturity about her, and she really brought it off, and she was just a kid. Huh. Hmm. I said, you know, I you said you didn't like musicals. I've I've only come to now like musicals or listen to them in the last few years. Mm -hmm. I have this new seven year old daughter who is and my girlfriend. They love musicals, so I've been forced to watch them. But I, <laughs> I, and I come to love them. But it, uh -huh. it's, it's I wonder for you. You said you you weren't a musical man. Mm -mm. That wasn't your bent. But you've done so many no. of them. Yeah, I've done well three. <laughs> I did the Fantastics too once, right. many many years ago, a sort of um, in summer stock kind of situation. Um, yeah, I guess I have done, but it's been a long time span, you know, 45 years. 
So it's not as if I were forever in the musical theater. Joe writes in, I've been a fan of Richard's since the Dr. Kildare days and still have fond memories of his wonderful performances in Centennial and Shogun. Shogun, especially his remarkable achievement, was probably the best example of the golden age of the TV miniseries. But my favorite of Richard's movie is The Three and Four Musketeers. <laughs> what a marvelous cast. Because Richard talked about ex- the experience of making that movie, working with Richard Lester, and the controversy over the film being split into two parts. Thanks, Richard, for the many hours of enjoyment you've given us. Well, we received the script for this film. Um, Richard called me up. I remember he called me up and said, would you like to play Aramis? And, and I said, well, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to be wallpaper in a Michael York film, particularly. <laughs> not that I, I thought Michael was great, but that's right. not what I... W- and he said, no, 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 no. He said, we're going to characterize you all and you're going to be all blah, blah, you know, very in- important to the story and stuff. So I said, sure. <clears throat> and uh, got the script and it was about four inches thick. It was a really long script with an intermission in the middle. So I thought, well, it's kind of like uh, Gone with the Wind or something. It's a big, long movie with an intermission. Uh, Cleopatra comes to mind. Um, And so we did this film and had a wonderful time. Richard has a great, great sense of humor. And it was a sensational cast, um, including Raquel Welsh, who was unbelievably gorgeous. And Anyway... um, then suddenly it turned out to be two films, the, uh, the Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers, for which they'd paid us for one film. <laughs> and there was, a, there was a clause, I think, in Raquel's um, a contract that allowed us to threaten to sue. And so they did pay us uh, a sort of gratuitous amount for the second, for the second film. film. Yeah, yeah. But I loved working on that film. We shot it in, uh, in Spain and wonderful people to work with. And Michael and Pat York were great fun to be with. Um, and uh, and Raquel turned out we all we it, it, do we have a second to talk yeah. about this? Um, Raquel didn't arrive for about three weeks. We had we had been shooting about three weeks, and all these rumors had come back to us that she she demanded flowers and this, and she demanded certain colors for this, and she demanded to be called Miss Welsh on the set by everyone, <laughs> and all this stuff. So we we all decided we hated her <laughs> before she arrived. Wait, we have to, we have to take a short break. Okay, we'll hold the story there. Okay. Come right back to Chamberlain. Start talking about Raquel Welsh. The Mark Steiner Show is brought to you by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union. Offering a full range of financial services, MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, is helping its members and its community prosper. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. For more information, www.mecu.com. Hello, I'm Mark Steiner. The actor Richard Chamberlain is with us in the studio today. Uh, you were in the middle of a story about Raquel Welsh. So anyway, we, we had all decided, working on The Three Musketeers, that we hated Raquel because she hadn't arrived and she, there were these rumors. So she, the first day she, she flies in and she comes to the set to kind of say hello. She's wearing this blue denim outfit that showed a lot of this and a lot of that <laughs> and looked so beautiful. I couldn't believe it. And she was so sweet. And you could see us all just falling over backwards. Everybody <laughs> fell totally in love with her. And she was great to work with. Faye Dunaway was a little problematical, but uh, but but Raquel was perfect, always on time. And I think and she was funny and interesting and and did all the pratfalls great. And I, I just loved working with her. She was terrific. So the rumors were not true, eh? No, the rumors, well, I don't know. She may still have gotten flowers every morning, but she deserved them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's return to the phones. Let me show you an email, then we'll go to Tim in um, Hunt Valley. Is that right? There's an email here from uh, Libby. 
Uh, she writes in, I have been a fan of yours since I was a teenager, so I think I can call you Richard. Absolutely. I watched, <laughs> I've watched Dr. Kildare faithfully. <clears throat> My mother and I have seen the Thornbirds all the way through several times. Have it on video. Shogun was great. Centennial is a favorite. Right. I loved you as Jason Bourne in the TV movie. Oh, good. My husband and I saw you on stage in Baltimore several years ago in Blythe Spirit. And as a Christmas gift, my husband is taking me to see Scrooge at the Hippodrome. My 20-year-old has a button that says, I'm straight, not narrow, and I feel the same way. Look forward to seeing you again on stage. Well, that's nice. Straight, not narrow. I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a whole slogan of people who are, I think a lot of parents of gay children, kind of, I mean, <clears throat> that's where that began. Uh-huh. It's kind of a movement to say. Yeah. Yeah, and why not? And why not? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tim in uh, Hunt Valley, you're on the air. Thank you. Thank Hi, you. Mr. Chamberlain. Hi. Uh, hey, um, come, I appreciated your comment about your reticence concerning your career and your sexual orientation, and what. I, and I do have uh, some some issues myself about that. But my question is, is that you know, by coming out, actors are empowering the homosexual community with positive, you know, um, voices. But would outing others that don't wish to be uh, known would that uh, whether they would be obscure or, you know, famous, would that be uh, vital to our community? No, absolutely not. I'm uh, totally against that. I think it's such an invasion. Um, I was uh, outed before I wanted to be outed in, by some tabloid uh, in the early 90s, and it scared me. To, it, first of all, I didn't get any work for a year, um, but it really just ter- yeah. It just terrified. Well, I, the good news is I got back to painting during that year and mm-hmm. and rediscovered I painting. I went to Web and saw your painting. I've never seen them before. Today. Yeah, yeah, they're very yeah. nice. Thank you. Um, but no, I think it's a terrible invasion, and um, and I think people should should settle their inner selves in their own time. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I'm glad that he raised that issue because I mean I, the whole question of outing is a huge one, and and and. In some ways, it's, it strikes me, and I don't know if you agree with this, maybe our listeners don't either, but it's almost like a form of political terrorism yeah. against an individual. Yeah. I mean, it's the privacy of another human being. Yeah, because there's still an enormous amount of prejudice, especially in America, not so much in Europe, etc., but in America, very much so. And, uh, and it's an extremely unfair thing to do to a person. Now, when you said you didn't get work for a year after you were out in that tabloid back in the early 90s, yeah. I mean, talk a bit about that. I mean, I, I mean, how exactly did that play itself out? Well, I didn't realize, of course, that I was going to not get work for a year. Mm-hmm. It just, a month would go by and another month <laughs> would go by and another month would go by. And, uh, but, and for, but for you, Richard Chamberlain, for God's sake, it's not like you were just an obscure yeah, actor by that yeah. time. That's why it's so amazing to me they did that. So I was living in um, in Hawaii at the time and I I thought, well, this seems to be a good time to get back to painting, and did, and uh, and and absolutely loved it. So, and in fact, it was a kind of gift to me, because if I hadn't had that time, I probably wouldn't have painted and wouldn't have rediscovered it. Um, life is interesting that way. It is. Mm. Now, did you? When did you know first know that you were gay or that you liked men more than women? I mean, when did that happen in your life? Was it happened very early? Very on? early. Yeah, I would say I was around eleven. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it was it was quite apparent to me. That's interesting. Um and very scary. Mhm. Especially being 11 in that era. Well, in that era because I knew that uh that I was a very unacceptable, very bad bad person. Mhm. You know, deep down somewhere. Right. And I grew up with that that uh, fear 
um, and lived with that fear. Uh, but then, of course, I became this very good person. <laughs> you know, I created this very good all-American boy and, uh, and uh, made a career of it. And you said that, you, I remember reading somewhere that you talked about your, you, partially because of how you grew up with your father and, and the home that was kind of dysfunctional, as many of our homes have been, that you... Somewhat. It somewhat, was that you somewhat functional, but, but, you know, my father was a drunk and stuff right. and, a, and kind of a jerk. Right. <laughs> that, that goes with the territory, <laughs> yes, I think, sometimes. Yes. So, it, so, but you lived in this fantasy world, which I read that you said kind of, kind of led you into the world of acting. Yes. Yes. I didn't like... I hated school. I wasn't that comfortable in my family. And um, I had friends and stuff, you know, I, and, 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 uh, and had some very good times as a kid. But... Um, but mostly I didn't like what real life seemed to be. You know, I didn't want to go into business with my father and all that mm-hmm. stuff, which my brother did. <clears throat> um, uh, I, I, I suddenly went, went blank. You're talking about, about, uh, about uh, growing up in the family and how you went to this fantasy world. Yes, 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 acting. the fantasies. And I thought, well, gosh, being other people in, uh, in, uh, in, in fantasy situations and creating stories and stuff looks like a lot of fun. Maybe that's where I, where I should go. And it is. And it is. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do for people like me who are crazy enough to do it. <laughs> Richard Chamberlain's on our show this hour. Is it Dunstan? You're on the air. Yeah, uh, uh, Richard, uh, I, I'm a person who's from Uganda, and yes. we were watching your show, uh, the Dr. Kildare show in Uganda. This no, is, really? In early, yeah, in the early 70s. Oh, and my God. Until Idi Amin came and decided that we, certain you know, shows from the West wouldn't be played. But you were a big, big, big star in Uganda. In Uganda? <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> know that. Yeah, and in fact, all the little girls and 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 women were always grinning over you most of the time <laughs> watching the show. So oh, if you if any any person who's anywhere near my age knows who you are because you uh-huh. are on the TV every week. Oh. So, I mean, everybody would look forward to watching Doctor Kill there. And then obviously, <laughs> as well, the Thornbirds came. People watched that trilogy as well. So so uh, and in fact, people always wondered what. What happened to you? Where did you? People usually ask. I wonder what happened to to Richard Chamberlain. You yes. know, but it's it's one of those things because when you're in Uganda, you don't really know much. So it's very interesting to hear you on the Mark Steiner show, and it's good to hear that you're doing well. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much, people. That's interesting. So you're you're a star in Uganda as well. In Uganda, what do you know? <laughs> That's great. This is great. I'd love to go there. Actually, it's supposed to be a very lovely country. Yeah. Yeah. But another conversation. Kevin in Baltimore, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Mark. Hi, Great Kevin. show. Thank you. Um, I Actually, my favorite um, um, movie, um, whatever you want to call it, is um, Richard, when Richard did Man in the Iron Mask. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I actually saw oh, that. Right. They played that nice. in high school um, in English um, class when oh, we were just reading the book. Great. I loved doing that. Ralph Richardson was in it, for right. instance. And, right, uh, and you played the double role. That yeah, I played the double role, and it was really, really a lot of fun to do. We were mm-hmm. we shot it in the uh, sort of forty miles south of Paris in this beautiful, beautiful country with Volvicons, wonderful chateaus, and oh, mm-hmm. it was it was a wonderful shoot. I wanted to ask you, Richard, about um, considering there's a lot of gay people and a lot of Jewish people who who um, are. There's a lot of people like that in Hollywood, all in all different kinds of um, you know occupations. Why is there such a predominant? Um, considering Hollywood's very liberal, why is there a lot of problems without actors um, 
you know, having um, issues with roles. Is that Hollywood or is that the um, the, uh, the public? Well, the people who run the business in Hollywood are very interested in pleasing the general public, and uh, and very very aware of the general public's prejudices and uh, and and cater to them to a certain extent uh, because it's, it makes financial sense to do so. Great. It's very, Thank you very much. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. I mean, that's a very conflicting thing. I mean, I, I until I was reading about your struggle with it. I mean, I, I you know I never thought about Hollywood in that sense because mm. you think of Hollywood and the theater world, the acting world, as a very open place. Yes. When it comes to sexuality. Yes. And, and our personal sexuality. Yes. And not narrow. So that's yes. I think Hollywood might be a little butcher than say the general theater world, in, say in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I don't know. They, the executives are always <laughs> vying for who has the biggest, you know what, and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, and so I think that may be another reason that uh, that doors can close there. When when you look at your work in 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 theater and uh, film and television, what are you most fond of? I mean, people usually have a a. Um, a preference in their work, whether it's film, because yeah. they're all very different when you do them. I mean, they're totally different in terms of incredibly different film acting and stage acting, unbelievably different. On the stage, for instance, you, I was noticing the other day, you act with your whole body, mm-hmm. you communicate with your whole body to the audience because some of them are pretty far away. And in film, it's just your eyes, really. It's it's basically just your eyes, and you wait for the close up, and then you do it, and and what you do is almost nothing. If you're really good, I saw Johnny Depp in uh, in um, Finding Neverland the other night. Oh, what a wonderful! Movie. What a performance! Yeah. But so real, mm-hmm. and he hardly moved in the thing and communicated so much. What an actor! Um, but I love being on stage because you get to do the thing from beginning to end. You get to do it all at once and build that uh, kind of emotional arc, and and you're in communion with the audience, which is becomes part of the play. The audience, mm-hmm. especially in a show like Scrooge. Um, where they enjoy it so much and they laugh and they carry on and cry and, you know, all that. And they become, you become friends in those two hours. Um, I love that feeling. So I, I think basically I'm more at home, though I love the technical challenges of film acting, I'm more at home on the stage. And it's very different because when you're shooting a film, it's disjointed. I mean, you can be yes. playing the beginning of the film one day, yes. the middle of the film another day, the end another day. Well, uh, in that opposite order, you play the end and then the middle right. and the beginning, usually. Is that how it works? Yeah, well, it, it can. It depends on what sets are available and what makes sense in terms, logistically, in terms of filming. In, in, in your life of work, do you have roles that are the ones that you think you really embody, that you're still passionate about when you think about? Um, yeah. I love playing Cyrano uh, de Bergerac mm-hmm. on stage. Um, I loved playing McKeague in Centennial. I just loved this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, the Born Identity was an interesting, very interesting challenge for me. Um, uh, and this is the Scrooge role I'm finding incredibly rewarding. Really, that's interesting. I love playing Why it do you every love night. It it's, just because, it's just because of where he starts, what happens, and where he ends up. Mm-hmm. He changes so dramatically during the course of the play. And you've got to make that real. And you've got to make it uh, gradual. 
and uh, and he goes back. You know, he'll he'll get an insight into human nature or, or the 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 quality of love that he so longs for, and then he'll pull back mm-hmm. into his old safe self. And I find that that's the story of my life, in a <laughs> in a less dramatic way. Uh-huh. Um, but growth, human growth, spiritual growth, inner growth, comes for most of us slowly and somewhat arduously, and then is immensely rewarding. Now, I was just thinking as you were talking about how you approach this uh, this particular character, how being a person who played a leading man, uh, playing the hunk in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do people then sometimes not take you seriously as an actor? Was that a struggle inside of that? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, when I went to uh, England and, and uh, did some serious acting there, uh, um, people in, in America were quite surprised mm-hmm. <laughs> because they thought I was this, you know, kind of good-looking all-American boy who was in their living room every every once a week. <laughs> and uh, um, suddenly I was doing Hamlet and uh, Henry James. Little did they know like another that. actor was lurking yeah, inside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I've always been a character actor in leading men's clothing. Uh, I've always loved character stuff. I've mm-hmm. always loved the, the uh, off-center kind of roles. And Scrooge, that's why Scrooge is so much fun because... They're, the leading men, the, the parameters of a leading man are very, very narrow. They're wonderful, and it's great to do that stuff. But when you're when you're doing character work, you can do anything. You can be all over the place. And the older you get, the more easy it can be that you become a character because you've yes. done your work, and now yes. you can do anything yes. you want to do. Yes, Richard Chandler, it's been a pleasure to have you. Oh, on thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good to have you on. It's been fabulous. Good. It's good to have you here. Thanks. Richard Chamberlain has been my guest this hour. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Richard Chamberlain as much as I had doing it back then in 2004. We're about to go to break, but before we get there, I want to remind you when we come back from break, we have an episode of Sound Bites in our March Up to the Climate March coming up on April 29th in Washington, D.C. Before we get to any of that, we're going to leave you with a little song by Richard Chamberlain himself. Stay with us. Birds suddenly appear Every time you are near Just like me They long to be close to you Why do stars fall down from the sky Every time you walk by, just like me, they long to be close to you. On the day that you were born, the angels got together and decided to create a
just like me They long to be Close to me